Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, as we dive into it now, Father, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, and teach us what it means to live the spirit-filled life. So John chapter 3 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Friends and family, right there in John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus reveals his greatest work. And that work is being born again. Why do we need to be born again? Because in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, it says, before we come to Christ, we are dead in our sins. And when we become born again, Christ comes to our, into our life and he makes us alive. He resurrects us. He, he brings us back to life. There's three things that take place when a person is born again. Three elements of being born again that we see in the New Testament. And those three, those three elements are repentance, faith, and receiving him. See, uh, when a person receives Jesus Christ, they invite him to come into their life and, to, and they receive him as their Lord and Savior. That's what it means to receive. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, to all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So there is a receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, repentance. You know, when a person becomes born again, they've come to a point in their life where they say, I am done with the old life. I'm turning away from sin. I'm turning away from breaking God's law. And I'm turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that turning to the Lord Jesus Christ is the third element, which is faith. We put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is, number one, being born again. And that leads us into number two. That leads us into number two. Is, and, that, and we're talking about here his work of sanctification. After a person becomes born again, the journey in Christ continues. So let's look at number two. Number two comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Do you see, do you see what he said there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2? He says, to obey, he says, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ. The second work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is this, family. He gives you the desire and the will to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it doesn't come in our own strength and our own power. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us that cries out, I want to obey Christ. I want to obey him with my life. That's the second work of the Spirit. Now let's look at the third work. 
The third work of the Spirit is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, where the Scripture says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is what? What does it say? The temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. The third work of the Holy Spirit is he gives us the desire to obey and put sin to death. We slay the dragons of the past. We slay the works of the flesh. And we move forward in our walk of sanctification. And all of that, family, all of that, friends, is a work of the Holy Spirit. He he gives you the tools. There's an area of your life you're struggling in, and he gives you a Bible verse to meditate on. He, He gives you a brother or sister in Christ to hold you accountable. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're not just creating this on our own, or that's the work of the Spirit. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, there were some areas in my life that, that, that I struggled, that I wrestled with. And what did the Holy Spirit do? He brought strong Christian brothers to come alongside me and hold me accountable. And strong Christian brothers that would speak the word to me. And it was such an amazing thing. And all of that comes from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. That's an amazing thing. Number, that's number three. Number three was to give us a desire to obey and put to death sin. Uh, let's look at uh, Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22. Let's look at what the Holy Spirit does, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And a lot of times I've learned in, in my growth, in my walk of, of sanctification and walking in the Spirit, I have found in my, in my Christian walk that a lot of these areas weren't in place until I read it in Scripture. You know, it's something about the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us, and then we get into a Bible study that there's a passage, a verse that will just jump out, and the Holy Spirit will use you reading that verse to remind you and help you grow, to help you grow. So that's what we're doing tonight, man. I, I see a lot of people are going to be growing in their love for the Lord and growing in their walk in the Holy Spirit. But the next one is uh, Galatians 5, and 23. says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you read the fruit of the Spirit, it sounds really nice. It, it sounds like this is the kind of person you want to be around. This is the kind of person that's very lovely and, and this... Uh, Great to be around. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. It says in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. We need to understand that phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, these attributes that he's talking about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they're not born in and of ourselves. They are born by the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So it's not like we, we try to force ourselves into being gentle or we force ourselves into self-control or we force ourselves into kindness or goodness. On the contrary, we say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me in this area. 
Lord, help me grow in this area. And, and, and if there be any, bit, any roots of bitterness or anger, confess it as sin and ask the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to help you grow in these areas. Friends and family, this is the Spirit-filled life. This is the Spirit-filled life that you grow in these things, that we grow in love. Man, I want to grow in love, man. I, I love you guys. I love my family. I love my Lord. But you know what? I want to love him more. I want to love you more. I want to love my family more. And what I'm learning is that comes from the Holy Spirit. The more I'm yielded to the Lord, the more I'm yielded to God, the greater we will grow in our love. And you, you can say that for each one of these. You struggle with patience. You want to grow in patience. Grow in your dependence upon the Lord and upon his spirit. And pray specifically, Lord, help me grow in the area of patience. Help me grow in these areas. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, we need a generation of people who walk in self-control. It's so easy in our flesh to go off on people, to get angry, to get mad, to, to uh, let our flesh ruin situations we find ourselves in. But as we grow in the Spirit, as you grow in the Spirit, and you grow in your love for the Lord and in his word, and the Holy Spirit begins to develop these fruits in you, you will grow in this area of self-control. Beautiful, beautiful fruits. So that's number four. Number four, the fourth work of the Spirit, is he, he, will, he will produce fruit in your life. So let's be fruitful Christians. Let's grow. Let's be planted like the tree by the streams of water. In other words, let us be planted in the word of God and let's grow in our Christian walk. The Holy Spirit wants you guys to grow. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the next one. Number five comes from Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, verses 31 and 32. Uh, it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began, to, they began to speak the word of God with boldness. I love this. It says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at it in verse 31. And it says, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they, they spoke the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit, friend, gives you and I a zeal and a passion to share and proclaim the word of God. When you understand, when the Holy Spirit opens your heart and you understand the Bible, you're like, wow, this is the word of God. And the Holy Spirit in us gives us a zeal and we're able to proclaim it with authority, with love and passion because we understand it's theonostos, 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is inspired by God. And he gives us a boldness you know, we're not ashamed of Jesus. We're not ashamed of the word of God because he's given us boldness to speak the word of God. Let's continue. Verse 32. Verse 32. There was actually, there's two of them in this passage. The next one's in verse 32. And it says, keeping in context, verse 31, he says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 32, it says, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them 
claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. What do we see in verse 32? What does the Holy Spirit do in Acts 4.32? You know what he does? He brings a unity and he brings a bond between us. Not just Calvary Chapel, Irmo, but all believers, all like-minded Christians. He brings a bond together to where you are my brothers and sisters. I am your brother. We are family and we care for one another. That's one of the beautiful things about being a part of a local church is when one person hurts, they all hurt. When one person rejoices, they all rejoice. When we see one brother or sister needing help, the other family comes alongside. Why does all that take place? Why, why is it all of a sudden we care? Back before I was a Christian, I didn't care. Back before I was a believer, all I cared about was myself. Why is it that all of a sudden I care about Rick and Jeanette? Because they're my friends that the Holy Spirit has given me a love and a bond with, just as well as you guys. So he forms this bond. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit-filled life, is that family bond. He brings unity and bond between believers. It says that um, those who said not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. It was family. You know, um, if my son or daughter needs something, you guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take care of them. You know, y'all would say the same thing about your children because they're our family. You know, and you see that within the nucleus of, of the family. Parents will take care of their children. But in the body of Christ, that bond and that commitment to take care of others, it goes beyond just our immediate family. But the Holy Spirit causes us to say, we're going to take care of each other. That is number six. The Holy Spirit brings unity and a bond between believers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ, other believers in the community, in our family. There's a special bond. Let's look at the next verse. The next verse, talking about the Spirit-filled life. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What do we see here? What does it say? It says, having also believed you were sealed at salvation, friend, when you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you say, you know what, I'm turning away from the world and I'm turning to you, Lord Jesus, and I'm asking you to come into my life and I'm committing my life to follow you, you know what he does? He seals you. Not only does he fill you with his Holy Spirit, but he seals you. You think about shipping containers when they go from one country to the another. Uh, they, they get sealed at a, at a port and, they, and, and then they, they don't get open until they get to their destination. At salvation, you and I were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the ultimate destination that we're going to be at 
when that seal is undone and we see him in all his glory is when we get to heaven. So he seals us. That word sealed, um, it speaks of security. Friend, I don't know, maybe you struggle with assurance of salvation. Maybe you wrestle, you know, am, am I there? If, if you have done those three things that we've talked about, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, I turn away from sin, and I put my trust in the cross, you can have assurance. You can have security, okay? You can have security. And again, no believer's perfect. We're all growing. But our security is found in our faith in Christ and our faith in the Lord. Not in our church, not in our denomination, or none of that, but in the Lord Jesus, in Lord Jesus Christ alone. It also says in that, ver that passage, it says, uh, who was given as a pledge of, of our inheritance. A pledge is a guarantee. A pledge is a guarantee. It's a down payment. It's like when you, when you, when you go to buy a house, you gotta, you gotta put a down payment. God has given us in our hearts, his Holy Spirit as a down payment of the things to come. We can have assurance of his salvation. We can have assurance of eternity in heaven because why? Because he's given us this, his Holy Spirit. So number seven, the seventh work I see in the scriptures. And this, the seventh work is, he, is the Holy Spirit fills and seals believers at salvation. And that helps our hearts rest. And that helps us have eternal security because our salvation is found in Christ and he does not change. Let's look at the next one. Actually, the next one comes from two verses. John 14 and 1 John chapter 2. Another work of the Holy Spirit is this. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, what does it say there? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus says he will teach you all things and he will bring to remembrance. In other words, after you've read it, after you've studied it, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your mind. He'll bring it back to your heart. And then also John adds in 1 John 2, 27, he says, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. The anointing is just another way of talking about the anointing of God being the spirit of the Lord dwelling on the inside of us. We have an anointing from God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God himself dwelling on the inside. And what, is these, what, is, what do these two verses teach us? That he is our teacher. He is our teacher. You know, you, you, as you study the Bible, as you read the word, you know what? It's perfectly fine to say a prayer and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. You know, I, I, when I read passages... I have to read a passage about 10 times. I have to read a passage about 10 times because each time I read the passage, it just gets deeper and deeper because the more I read the passage, the more I meditate on the passage, the more the Holy Spirit teaches me about the passage. And we see things in the scripture. We pull things out. 
because he shows us the deep treasures of the word of God. So the Holy Spirit wants to be your teacher. You know, a college education is not enough to rightly understand the Bible. A solid hermeneutics is not enough to rightly understand the scripture. Commentaries are not enough to rightly understand the scriptures. Even though those are important, and we need to have a solid hermeneutic, and we need to have good commentaries, and, and, and it's, it's okay to go get a college education, but those things in and of themselves do not teach us the scriptures as great as the anointing, the Holy Spirit of, of God. That's what he's saying there that in, in John 14 and 1 John chapter 2, is the Holy Spirit teaches us the word. You know, um, God bless you if you read through the Bible in a year. Please keep reading through the Bible in a year. I love it, but I have, I have a difficult time. I have a hard time with that because I feel like I'm having to speed read. You know what I'm saying? You get up in the morning, you look at your chart. Okay, I got to read three passages today. And what do we do? God bless you if you do it and, and do it because it's great to be in the word, but we speed read through it. I'm a person, man, I'm a slow cooker. I'm a slow cooker when it comes to studying the word. And, and I, a typical Sunday message, I, I normally spend about probably 15 to 20 hours a week in just sermon preparation for Sunday morning. Because I want to meditate on the passage. I want to read the passage over and over. And then I want to read the passage before it and the passage after it. But I have found in my personal devotions and in my walk, when I, when I approach the scriptures from that angle, just isolating a passage and just meditating on it for a couple days, that it just becomes better and better because the Holy Spirit is teaching me. I still go look at my commentaries. You know, I, I, I still go, go look at commentaries and I, I keep my principles of interpretation in place, you know, to read it in context and to understand the word. And I have a Vines expository dictionary and I look up a lot of words and all those are important. But ultimately, I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need you to show me this. I need you to show me this and let me see it because it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two edged sword, according to Hebrews 4.12. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The, uh, I think it's, it's in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not sure what verse, but in Ephesians chapter 6, it says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God. We'll talk more about that in a minute when we get to 2 Peter. Let's look at our next verse. Looking at the works of the Holy Spirit. Works of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So what does this verse say to us about the Spirit-filled life? It says he will give us power. He will give us power to witness you know, there will be a, a flame inside of us. There'll be a zeal. There'll be a passion. You know, and when we share the gospel, we don't need to be all dead, dry, and religious. But we need to be excited and joyful and let the Spirit, let the Spirit's power come out and our enthusiasm and our zeal. And, and, and being Spirit-filled, 
We hope that as we share the gospel with people, as we share the message of scripture with them, that it will bring what to them? Conviction. The spirit of the Lord will bring conviction. But the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to be a witness. He empowers us to go out and witness. And it says, uh, both witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, um, when it comes to being a witness, it needs to start in our Jerusalem. It needs to start in our immediate vicinity. It needs to start in our neighborhood, in our community. And from there, we work our way out. But what, what one of the things, you know, living the Spirit-filled life is we, uh, we got to trust in the Spirit, in our witness. You know, that can be saying a prayer for the person before you go and talk to them. That could be like, you know, you're going to minister to someone, someone's hurting, someone's broken, maybe they're unsaved, and you, you want to share the gospel with them. Send up a prayer. Send up a prayer and say, Lord, Zechariah 4, 6, not by my own might, not by my own strength, but by your Holy Spirit, speak through me. Speak through me and let me be, let your power flow through me in being a witness. So number nine is the Holy Spirit empowers our witness. He will empower you to be a witness. And we don't have to, we don't want to trust in our own strength or our own ways of thinking. Just give them the word. Just give them the scriptures. Share with them John three sixteen. You know, share with them, help them understand what sin is, help them understand what the cross is, and help them understand the, uh, the, the word of salvation, that they can find forgiveness in Christ. Let's look at the next one. That was, uh, that was nine. So, as we move into this next one, we're gonna, be answering the, we're gonna be answering this question. And that question is this, how does the Holy Spirit direct us and guide us? How does the Holy Spirit direct and guide you in your life. We're going to look at the most important one first and then we're going to work our way down. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The main way at the top of the list that the Holy Spirit leads you and I in life is through the inspired word of God. Okay? As we read the pages of scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 says the sword of the spirit is, is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. The Holy Spirit gave us the book the Spirit of the Lord, the third member of the Trinity. God the Father didn't come down and pen this book. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come down and pen this book. The Holy Spirit inspired this book. So it's the Spirit of the Lord. And this is the primary way that God leads us. If you have a question about life, if you have a question about godliness, if you can find it in the Bible, that is your answer. Okay, he's, he's made this foolproof. You know, I'm, a, I'm the kind of person, I like instructions. When somebody gives me a task, when somebody gives me a mission, uh, I like written instructions because I like to follow instructions. A, B, C, D. 
Well, God has made it simple for us to follow his spirit, and that's by following the word of God. But that brings up a big question, though. What about areas of our life that is not specifically addressed in Scripture? What do we do about those areas? That's a big question. Some some of them might be like, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Lord, where do you want me to go to church? Lord, what ministry are you calling me to? You know, those are specifics. You know, those, those are specifics in our life that the scripture doesn't address. What does he want me to specifically do with my life? You know, there's, there's three missionary journeys coming up. There's three missionary journeys. There's three missions trips coming up this summer. And I really like all three. Which one should I go on? You know, it's those kind of decisions. So uh, to answer these questions, let's look in the Bible at other ways God has directed his people. What does the Bible say? How has God directed people in the scriptures? And the first way we find is in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there, or I believe we have a slide. But Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 says, Now there were at Antioch, in the, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Serene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Terek and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, they, then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So we, what do we see here in Acts chapter 13 in the text? What do we see? We see that the Holy Spirit is using prophets here in the book of Acts. To, to lead and direct the believers. In verse two, it says, while they, who is they? You go back and look at verse one. It was the prophets and the teachers. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. In other words, they were seeking the Lord. They were the ones calling upon the name of God. If you look at verse three, he uses they twice and they are once. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. They sent them away. So we see the Holy Spirit operating through these prophets and teachers in Acts chapter 13. So God can give us a prophetic word through someone that has that gift of prophecy or has that gift of exhortation. You know, God lays it on someone's heart. To, to share with their brother or sister. Now, just because somebody comes up to you and says, thus saith the Lord, that don't mean you, you buy it hook, line, and sinker. When somebody comes to me and says, you know, I feel like the Lord is telling me to share this with you, I'll take it and I'll hold on to it. I'll hold on to it. Because I believe that the Lord will confirm it. And, and, I, and I'll wait upon the Lord and I ask God, Lord, show me, is this what you are saying to me? Is this how you are, how you are guiding me? He will always, you know, if it's God's perfect will, he will always confirm it. He will always confirm it. But the Lord can use people with the gift of prophecy. Uh, the, the prophets, Acts chapter 13, these men that many of them we don't know a whole lot about were walking, as, were prophets in the early church. The next one is uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. 
see another way where the text says the Holy Spirit directed someone. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7 says, And they passed through Phygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. I found this to be a pretty interesting chapter in the um, Chuck Smith's book called Living Waters. And Chuck Smith brings up the point that in Galatians chapter 4, Paul indicates that he had a serious bodily illness. And Chuck Smith says that this is possibly, could be, likely, would have, could have been what kept Paul from going to, to, to Bithynia. So how is the Holy Spirit leading um, a Christian, how is the Christian, how's the Holy Spirit leading a believer in this situation? By natural circumstance. You know what? That's perfectly, you know, God leads us through natural circumstances, through things that, through ordinary circumstances. You know, God putting down, he had an issue, he got well, God confirmed this a couple of verses later when he has the vision from the man from Macedonia saying, hey, come over here, we need you here. But God uses these, uses natural circumstances. You know, we like to pray sometimes, Lord, please open the door and please close the door. I've heard some criticism of people praying that way. Lord, please open the door and please close the door. But there's actually about five places in the New Testament where that's given as a way of, uh, of praying for the Lord to show you direction. Ask him to close doors, open doors. We, my family, we pray it quite often when we're facing a big decision. Lord, if this is your will, will you please close this door? And Lord, if it is your will, Holy Spirit, will you please open the door? And a lot, we've, had, we've had situations in our life where we were facing big decisions and, and the door closed on the opportunity. And you know what we said? Praise the Lord. That was his leading. He closed that door, so we turn and go the other way and look for the door, the other door that's open. But again, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about being led by the Holy Spirit, you know, people start thinking about supernatural things happening and, and the hair on the back of your neck standing up and, and all that stuff. But it's not always that way. It's not always that way with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can lead through a gift of prophecy, through, through a word of knowledge, but he can also lead us through circumstances that we face in life. And we need to thank him for those. So that was number 12. Number, number 11 was, uh, according to Acts chapter 13, he can use prophets to speak into people's life, people with the gift of prophecy. For, uh, number 12, according to Acts chapter 16, he can use ordinary circumstances to lead and direct us. Let's look at number 13. Number 13 comes from Acts chapter 16, verse nine. And family, again, as I was going through the scriptures, and I was going through the text and I was putting this together. I'm looking for verses that talk about um, visions, that talk about leading, that talk about guiding, that talk about directing, so we can know what the Bible teaches, because that's what's important. But the next one comes from Acts chapter 16, verse 9. He says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over here to Macedonia and help us. So what does the Holy Spirit do here? Gives him a vision. Now he had a vision in the night, I imagine. And from the text, it appears that he had a supernatural vision of this guy. 
And, and that vision is what God used to send Paul over to Europe, okay? But the Holy Spirit can give us a vision. Now, we may not see the picture, we may not see the picture or, or, or given a vivid description of a picture like Paul was, but I believe the Holy Spirit gives us a vision. He gives us a vision. I, I, remember, I, I clearly remember in 1994 on the USS Eisenhower, two years into my Christianity, and man, I, wanna, I just felt the calling to be a pastor. I felt it, sensed it, was being pulled in that direction 20 years before I became a Christian. But I kept asking the Lord, is now the time, is now the time? No, 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 it was always no. And ever since 1992, throughout my military career, I always served in the local church. We served with student ministry, with uh, elementary uh, children's ministry. We, me and my wife have been over children's ministry directors. We have been over toddler rooms. We've worked with youth. We've worked with outreaches. We've worked with all these ministries. But throughout my whole entire 20 years, I just knew, because I felt like the Lord had given me that vision, given me that passion, that one day I would serve as a pastor. And, and that came to be in 2014 when I, I had communicated to my pastor, Pastor John at Calvary Chapel Lexington, that the Lord was calling me to be a pastor, to go into ministry. And you know what they did? Well, you just go right over here and serve. And I said, sure. And I went and did the Tuesday night men's Bible study, You Turn for Christ. Hey, David, we need you in the, um, we need you in children's ministry. The, the week before they took me, they, they called me in to talk about becoming a pastor. The Sunday before that, you know what I was doing? I was in the third grade, I was in the third grade tent. They got this big, the Jesus dome over there in children's ministry. And I was inside one of the tents giving the third graders their, um, their uh, goldfish and teaching their Bible lesson. I was just willing to serve any and everywhere. And we've done, we've done that our whole entire life. But I knew all along, that God was calling me to be a pastor. You know, we need to pray for vision, family. We need to, we, each one of us as a, as a believer, you know, this is not just for ministry. It's not just for pastors. I'm just giving you my testimony. But this is for all of us. You young guys going off to college, you need to be praying now saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? Give me a vision. Give me a passion. Give me a direction to go in. Give us a vision. I believe the Holy Spirit will give us a vision. He will give us a passion. Let's look at the next one. So number 13 is the Holy Spirit uses divisions to direct our path. The next one is uh, from Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, verses 16 through 18. This is uh, on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit fell. Uh, Peter is preaching probably the greatest sermon in the book of Acts. But uh, he, he's, and he's explaining the outpouring of Pentecost. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit of all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now he's quoting, 
He's quoting from Joel, but notice it says there, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So this is through men, this is through women. Uh, Your men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. So what we see here in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, is in addition to what we've already talked about with prophecy and, um, and visions, he adds another one, dreams. Dreams. Now I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying every single dream you have every night is from God, okay? I, have a lot of, I, have, I wake up a lot of mornings and I, have, I remember those dreams and I just want to flush them down the toilet, Okay? Sometimes they're bad dreams. Sometimes they're scary dreams. Sometimes they're weird dreams. And, and it doesn't often, it, every dream's not always from the Lord. But God can operate through dreams because it says it right there in the text. And if we're people of the word, we're people of what the text says, it says uh, there in um, verse 17, your old men shall dream dreams. I believe the Holy Spirit can work through dreams. Now, I believe you got to be, you got to be careful with this. You got to be careful with this. Everything has to be weighed by the word of God. Okay. And everything has to be confirmed and it's perfectly good for a brother or sister who thinks they may have a dream from the Lord to go to another brother or sister in Christ and kind of weigh it out. You know, you know, we don't want to get into any wild imaginations or fanatical thinking, but he can operate through dreams. We can receive dreams, but they need to be filtered. But the Holy Spirit, number 14, is he can use prophetic dreams to direct believers. I believe that. These are all ways the Holy Spirit can direct us in the specifics of life. Remember what I said in the very beginning, the primary way the Holy Spirit leads us is through the word of God. And if you're looking for direction and the word of God answers that question, that's your answer. Okay? That's your answer. But in the specifics of life, where do I go? What do I do? You know, we need to pray that the Lord will show us. You know, in all situations, we need to fast, pray, and seek the Lord, and he will answer. I'm a firm believer when it comes to specific direction in life, the Holy Spirit can use visions, dreams, prophetic words, circumstances to lead you. The tragic mistake of the modern church is making big decisions with little or no prayer or fasting to see what the Holy Spirit wants. You know, we need to, our big decisions, big plans, Things we want to do, bring them to God in prayer. Bring them to God in prayer so, so we, don't, we, we don't make mistakes. We, we don't step out and do something that we had no business doing. We need to bring it to the Lord in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to show us. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This being led by the Holy Spirit is Old Testament and it is New Testament. We got to be led by the Spirit. We have to be. We have to get back to being led by the Spirit. The early church was successful. The early church was successful 
because they were led by the Holy Spirit. Number 15, we're coming to a close here. We're bringing this in for a landing. 15 ways the Holy Spirit works in our life. It says, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, has a gift for every believer to serve with. Do you know that? It's not just the staff, it's not just the leaders in the church, but every single person, every single believer has a place in the body of Christ with a gifting from the Holy Spirit to serve. Now, starting next week, this is week three. We're, I said we're going to spend eight weeks on the Holy Spirit. Tonight is, is week three. But starting next week, we're going to dive in to um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show those to you real quick and give you a real, just a real quick brief introduction. We're not, I'm not going to teach on tonight, but I just want to give you an introduction of what does the Bible teach concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is not exhaustive. You have, you have deacons, you, you have uh, deacons and elders and all, but the gifts that the Spirit talks about is found there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, Romans 12, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, mercy. And then from Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to talk about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And a lot of people, they like to steer away. They like to steer away from talking about tongues and interpretations. But family, it's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. And we need to have a solid biblical understanding of what the text says about these gifts. Um, you know, uh, the scripture says we're not to be ignorant of the gifts. And there's, there's, there's some churches that abuse it. There, there's some churches that ignore it. And we can't, be, we can't be in either camp. We just need to understand what the Bible teaches on these gifts and understand that they're gifts meant to unify the body of Christ. They're meant to bring us together. They're meant to, to make us the most effective in ministry. The Holy Spirit uses the gifts through his servants to edify, exhort, comfort, and correct the body of Christ. And I like what Chuck Smith says in his book, Living Waters. He makes this statement. He says, there is diversity in unity. There's diversity in unity, meaning we all have a different gift, but we have unity in working together because it is one Holy Spirit working in and through the church. I encourage you guys in, in the weeks to come. I'm probably going to break it up. Probably going to do four gifts a night. We've we'll, we got five weeks. We'll break those up and we'll talk about them. But if you have questions about those gifts or you want to know the passages ahead of time, text me, call me, email me, let me know, and I'll be glad to share with you the text that we're going to study. But what we, the, the main point is, is not to convince you of one denomination's position or another denomination's uh, opinion. Our goal at Calvary Chapel is what does the word say? What does the Bible say? And that's where, we'll, that's where we stand. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, um, the manifestations of the gift is given to everyone for the profit of all. It's meant to build up the church, but unfortunately, it's divided the church. 
on many of these things. You know, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, um, they're not given for our personal profit. They're not given for us as a gift. They're not given as something for us to show off or, hey, look at me. No, it has nothing to do with that. God has given me a gift so that I can minister to Leslie. Or God has given you a gift so you can minister to your neighbor. And not everyone has all these gifts. And that's what the scripture says. Not everyone has these gifts. Some people only have this one or this one or this one. Or they're, they're all very, he spreads them out across the body. So not everybody will operate in all of them. I like what uh, Chuck Smith says on page 96. And I got the quote for you. Chuck Smith says this on page 96. He says, the overarching principle concerning the gifts of the spirit is this. The true gifts of the Holy Spirit when manifested in a scriptural and correct way will always focus people's hearts on Jesus Christ. I was listening to Wretched Radio the other day, listening to Todd Frill, and he made a very powerful statement. And, and, I, and I've repeated it, I've said it before, but I like what he said. He says, how can you tell if a church is spirit-filled? How can you tell if a church is operating in the spirit? They will point people to Jesus. And it's the same, th- it's the same principle with the gifts with the teaching, with everything that's said and done, it points people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It points people to the Lord. How can you tell, how can you know if you see someone and they claim to have a, a, a gift of the Holy Spirit, how can you tell if, it's, if it is truly a manifestation of the Holy Spirit operating in their life? How can you validate it? How can, is, is, there, is there a way to look at a gift, to look at someone who claims to have a gift? I believe, I believe there is. Who are they pointing people to? Are they pointing people to themselves? Are they, are they pointing people to anything other than Jesus? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit exalts the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit builds the believer. That's the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as you study them in in the text, they're meant to build up the, they're meant to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. There's actually only one gift the scripture talks about that's meant to edify a person's self. And we'll talk about that in about three or four weeks. And that's the gift of tongues, where he says, he who speaks in tongues um, edifies himself. But all the other gifts are meant to build the body. So I hope y'all are excited and looking forward to this study. Again, pull my list up one more time, Rick. Yes, yes. And what, I'm, what I'm thinking of doing is, is next week, I'm, I'm gonna start with Ephesians chapter four. And we're gonna talk about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, we're gonna talk about, I'm, I'm gonna get into a little word study. We're gonna look at what does the scripture say about apostles? You know, just to give you a little taste. The, the, the apostle, the word apostle is actually used three times in the scriptures. In Hebrews, Jesus is called our great apostle. Why is he called an apostle? Because he was sent from the Father, okay? Then you have the 12 apostles. And the 12 apostles, uh, they were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. We call them apostles with a capital A. Those are not to be repeated. But then we have apostles which that word apostle in the Greek just means one sent out. 
And those are sent out by the church. And who are those? They're not the same as the 12 apostles. Those guys will never, that's, that's an office that's, that's, that was for that time and that period to give us the word. But what we have do, what do we have now, apostles? One sent out, missionaries. Missionaries, people sent out by the local church to minister in and around the world. So we're gonna study those words, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and then we're gonna work our way through Romans and Corinthians, and I'll probably throw a couple more in there as we get into the study. So let's pray, let's pray. And I want you to pray and say, Lord, what is my gifting? What gift have you given me to build up the body of Christ? Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, thank you for um, this study on the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray, not in our own might, let nothing be done in our own might or in our own strength, but let us be led by your Holy Spirit. Let us endeavor to build up the body of Christ, not to walk after the flesh, but to pursue wholeheartedly after you. And Lord, I pray through this study, Lord, that you'll help us all grow in the area of knowing what our spiritual gift is according to your word and according to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this study tonight. Father, I lift up all of our brothers and sisters that are struggling right now with sicknesses, with COVID and flu. I pray for healing in their body. I pray for protection for their family, Lord God. Father, I pray for this storm coming up, Lord. I pray that you'll give us wisdom and all of our first responders and uh, people that work out in the weather, I pray for their safety in the days to come. And I just pray, Lord, a special blessing on us as, as we endeavor to pursue you more and follow the leading of your Holy Spirit in our personal life and in our church. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming out tonight. Praise the Lord.